Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I'm speaking to Melanie Gibson, who's from Texas in the USA, and she's the creator of the blog Little Black Belt. Now Melanie began taekwondo training at age 10, then took a 22-year hiatus and began training again in her early 30s. So she is a second-degree black belt and is a third-degree black belt candidate. Sounds really impressive. Now, Melanie started having body image issues around the age of 13, this leading to restrictive eating a couple of years later. She then struggled with overexercise and binge eating through her teens and into her 20s. And the eating issues then did calm for many years, although Melanie did continue to struggle with body image. She loved sports and being active, but this was also a way to manage her body image issues. Then in February 2021, at the age of 41, Melanie returned to therapy after experiencing multiple stresses in 2020. And this was even more than the pandemic, if that wasn't enough. So this included an anterior cruciate ligament tear and surgery plus grueling workplace demands. Melanie's identity as an athlete, martial artist and all fit person came crashing down. And after experiencing these stresses, Melanie found herself restricting food and obsessively weighing herself. She was then diagnosed with atypical anorexia nervosa. Thankfully, today Melanie is doing much better and she's on a journey to overcoming her eating disorder. So on the podcast today, she's going to talk about the journey of working on her mental health and eating disorder over the years through taekwondo therapy and other tools. Now, Melanie also has a book out, which is called Kicking and Screaming, a memoir of madness and martial arts. And it's available wherever books are sold. So do go and check that out. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Melanie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hello, Harriet. Thanks for having me on your show. Great. So, Melanie, yeah, you have a very interesting journey, I think, through your experiences in taekwondo and also with struggles with eating disorders and mental health. I wondered, please, could you just tell us a little bit? Yeah, firstly, just introduce yourself and then it'd be great to just hear a little bit about your story. Okay, sure. So my name is Melanie Gibson and I live in Fort Worth, Texas in the United States. And my story that I've been sharing is that I use the Korean martial art of Taekwondo to help me overcome some pretty serious mental health struggles. I think my mental health struggles started manifesting as a child, but I didn't seek help until my early 30s. So I ended up with a diagnosis of depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and I've had eating disorder issues all along, but as you know, that can come with a lot of denial. So I actually did not get diagnosed with an eating disorder until recently this year at age 42. Mm, sure. Okay. So really interesting because it sounds like obviously like you've struggled with eating issues for a long time. What were the kind of barriers maybe to you getting help and support like earlier on? 
I think denial was a big part of it. Part of my issues were perfectionism, is that I used perfectionism to hide my problems from friends, coworkers, even my family, because I thought that's what I needed to do to survive. And, and as you know, eating disorders can thrive off perfectionism. And frankly, I didn't want to get help because my eating disorder was keeping me at a size that I thought was where I needed to be, I thought was acceptable. So for the longest time, I didn't want to seek treatment for it. And I didn't realize how damaging it was to me mentally and physically. Mm, Sure. And I think you're not alone with that. Because I think, yeah, and I think for many people, they often don't even recognize their symptoms as an eating disorder or disordered eating, because sadly, our kind of culture has sort of normalized that so much. Oh, yes, very much so. It's, it's amazing all the, the comments that I think about now that people make that kind of reaffirm my eating disorder. I had a coworker who said, or one time I said, oh, I love, you know, pizza and, and cake. And my coworker said, oh, I just thought you ate kale all day. Or mm-hmm. they assume I, I work out all the time or I, I eat salads all the time. And they don't know what kind of pressure that puts on me then to think, okay, well, I guess I have to keep that appearance up. Mm, sure. Yeah. No, and I think it's so true for so many people who will be listening that relate to that, that it becomes kind of like part of this identity as well, doesn't it? To be the kind of healthy, fit person. Oh, yes. And that's been my identity most of my life. So I, I started uh, working out in high school. I always stayed fit through college. And then, of course, as a taekwondo athlete, I'm always at the top of my athletic game. Now, I, I want to say that I don't want to demonize exercise or movement or anything like that, because those are great things. But if you take them to an extreme, that's when it can be very damaging. Or if you use it to punish yourself, then that's when it's damaging. Mm, yeah, no, sure. So can you talk us a little bit through sort of your journey with the in the way that sort of your eating disorder sort of changed, even though I guess you know, early on, you didn't recognize it as an eating disorder. So it started off, did it kind of in a more restrictive way in your teens? It did. You know, I had a moment where my brother and my mom and I were visiting my maternal grandparents in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We did that every summer. And at one point I thought, I'm fat. I need to lose weight. And I was a pretty normal sized kid. I didn't really think about my body or food or anything like that. It was just like this this flip got switched one day. And so I started restricting eating and did it very secretly. So no one would notice. And I was restricted for a while. And then a couple of years later in high school, between my junior and senior year, so I was about 16 or 17, mm-hmm. I went through a breakup with some boy. So it, it was usually triggered by some kind of event. And I started restricting and over-exercising. I exercised probably six to seven hours a day and this is in the summer. I didn't have school. So I, that's, that's all I did. And my period stopped for about three months. I didn't sleep very much. I'm not sure how far my weight got down. I don't know if we even owned a scale in the house, but I was never satisfied with my body. I always thought I was still too big and certain parts of my body weren't in shape. So that started. And then of course, with that cycle, binge eating started because my body was, I'm starving myself. And so my body responded by making me eat. And I just uh, quickly, pretty quickly got this compulsion to binge eat. And of course I did that in secret. And I did that through college and probably my early twenties that died down for a while. That was quiet for a while throughout my thirties. I had a few moments maybe of wanting to binge, but what, what re-triggered everything was this past year, you know, the pandemic has been difficult for everybody. 
We've all been through collective things. I've been through some personal things. Um, I had a serious knee injury last year and surgery. And at the beginning of this year, I, you know, we were hoping 2021 would be better, but it really wasn't. And, and I think what did it for me was my job was just relentless on the projects and tasks and things they were giving us. I was working remotely, so I don't want to compare myself to the essential workers. They're working much harder than I did. But my job was still pretty, pretty hard on us. I worked for a healthcare organization and even the behind the scenes work never stopped. So there was that. There was that very strange winter storm that hit Texas in mid-February where the temperatures dropped to an unprecedented amount. Our very evil electric company and government shut off the power. So many of us were without power for days. And that really messed with my head. So between those two things, I started restricting pretty heavily, obsessively weighing myself. I was so miserable that I sought out help from a counselor. And as they were doing my intake call, they asked me about my eating habits. And I said, well, yeah, I am restricting and weighing myself. And, you know, I was so deep into it. I don't think I would have admitted those things on my own. Mm -hmm. So I kind of accidentally fell into eating disorder treatment And I'm so glad I did because now I see it as this separate thing that I can fight instead of it being such an ingrained part of who I am. But had that not, that person not asked those certain questions, I may still be hiding that eating disorder. Mm, Sure. So do you think as well, was it almost a little bit hidden even to you? Perhaps you just hadn't even realized how you'd sort of slip back in that hole. Yes, I think so. Because what I'd always tell myself was, oh, I I have poor body image and I I engage in disordered eating, but I don't have an eating disorder. That's for teenagers. That's for really serious people. I don't look like I have an eating disorder. So I said all the things that we that we say in society that that keep people get from getting treatment. I'm not underweight. I'm not overweight. So I don't look like a person with an eating disorder. And so for all this time, I was able to tell myself, I don't really have an eating disorder that's too serious. But the thing is, now that I can see it, and I know what it is, and I know its behaviors, it's much easier to fight it. Yeah, sure. So actually kind of like saying it out loud, giving it a name, recognizing the symptoms, perhaps in a way has made you feel a bit more empowered and able to address the problem. Yes, yes, I do. And this was the same about 10 years ago in my early 30s. I got my diagnosis of anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. And that was kind of a shock, not really a shock because I knew something was wrong, but you know, it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. But when I knew what I was dealing with, then again, it was, it was easier to fight and it was easier to understand, oh, these mood swings are happening because I have bipolar disorder, or I would start to see warning signs ahead of time. I would start to understand what depression felt like. The same with the eating disorder, because when I first started treatment, it tried to fight me a lot. But I was able to listen to it and say, okay, that's my eating disorder talking. That's not me. I don't want to follow what it's telling me to do. And so for the first time, I was able to fight it and talk back to it and, and choose to do things differently than what it was telling me to do. So yeah, absolutely. Having that diagnosis and that label on it definitely empowered me. Mm, well, that's so good to hear. I know for you, Melanie, as well, like a lot of your identity has been around sort of being sort of very fit, like a, an athlete, I guess, hasn't it? You know, three years sort of taekwondo. And so when you had your injury last year, it sounds like that was really quite devastating, not just in terms of the physical impact, but also kind of on your sort of mental health and, you know, your whole identity. 
Yeah, it's, it's a world changer. And I thought the irony that I'm promoting a book that I wrote about how Taekwondo helped me deal with my mental health problems. And here I am not even able to practice it. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was I was in Taekwondo class and I was doing some kicks on a bag, nothing big. Mm. And I, I think my knee had just worn down over time. And I did the smallest jump. It wasn't even a good one. And I felt like a balloon popped in my leg. It's an ACL tear really, really hurts. It happens very fast. So luckily the pain doesn't last too long, but I was on the ground before I even knew what happened. And so I was diagnosed with an ACL tear and I ended up having reconstruction surgery using my quadriceps tendon. And that's a very effective surgery, but it's also requires a lot of recovery because when they take that part of your quadriceps tendon, the quadriceps completely melts. It's, it's just, it's the, it was the weirdest sensation that I ever had. It was mush. I had no muscle left. So not only was I rehabbing my knee as a whole, I had to build up that quadriceps muscle. So yeah, I spent the first two weeks on the floor with my leg and a machine moving it back and forth. So Taekwondo was the last thing for my mind. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I wasn't as sad as you think I might be for not being able to practice the sport that I love because you're just trying to literally get one foot in front of the other. I had to be able to use it. I had to use a chair in the shower. I had to use crutches. I couldn't drive for about two months. So mm. Taekwondo was the last thing for my mind. But but as I went along, yeah, yeah I, I definitely started to miss my sport and, and I lost my identity as an athlete. But throughout the journey, the thing that I appreciate about this injury and this recovery is that it forced me to make friends with my body. It's been a very humbling experience to basically lose my athlete identity for a while, a while lose the muscle tone, lose the shape. And to recover from an eating disorder at the same time has, like I said, it's, it's forced me to treat my body with respect, which I never did before. So I'm rebuilding the muscle and then physically I'm learning how to refeed myself. Mentally, I'm overcoming these dangerous behaviors that are hurting my body. So these two recoveries are, have really worked well together. Mm. Yeah, no goodness. So it sounds like, yeah, you never would have wished this horrible injury on yourself, would you? But it sounds like there's been a real silver lining of it suddenly kind of bringing issues to the forefront and enabling you to perhaps work on them for the first time. Oh, yes, I think so. Because I think just knowing how I am, had I gone into therapy and treatment for the eating disorder, but I was fully able-bodied, still doing martial arts, still doing other forms of exercise, still working out. I think I still would have been in denial that I had a problem. Mm, And I wouldn't have that singular focus of recovering physically and mentally. And it's been humbling again. You know, I've, I've gained weight because I've been eating. And so that's something I've had to kind of think about and process and, and accept. And yeah, it's been humbling. It's been a blessing in disguise. I'm, I'm glad this injury happened because I think my, I literally had to break my body to break this habit of, of hating it and punishing it. Mm, sure. So can you tell us a bit more about the treatment sort of approach that you've been having, you know, since you've been in therapy? Yeah, I have pretty intense therapy with just a regular therapist talking about overall issues that I have and then meeting with a nutrition counselor. And I've been doing that weekly since probably March. I like talk therapy. I I did therapy several years ago when I first got diagnosed with my mental illnesses, and I find that very helpful. 
I also did, and this was just an experiment that they did a, a group therapy session with a nutrition counselor and it was all virtual. And so that was pretty cool. Another woman and I met with a counselor every Tuesday for about eight weeks, talking about values, different types of therapy. I can't think of the topics off, you know, off the top of my mm. head, but, but they're very well planned out. And something interesting that we did was eat dinner together in group therapy. And I've never done group therapy, so I didn't know how that worked. And I, I found that interesting too, is to, to get to share meals with people, which haven't really gotten to do with the pandemic. So that was helpful too, just to treat a meal like a celebration and sharing with other people. Mm, sure. So it sounds like, yeah, kind of like a helpful mix of different things have been really valuable in this whole process. Yes. And I will say just for me personally, eating normally, eating a, a variety of foods was the easiest thing to do. I stopped weighing myself and I just started eating. I almost went cold turkey, did it overnight, thought, okay, I'm going to try this, eating regular meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, eating a variety, not restricting. And it affected my mood so positively that I, I don't want to go back, even though my body shape has changed and I know what I could do to make it change again. I don't want to because it feels so good. I mean, who would think, who would think eating a variety of foods would it would affect your brain chemistry? Gee, <laughs> duh, of course it does. So the pain is not worth it anymore for how much better I feel for feeding myself. You know, the, the body image thing has been harder to get over, but that seems mm -hmm. to be just chipping away at it over time. It seems to be easier to overcome than it has been for all these years. Mm, yeah, no, that's good to hear. And, and I'm so with you with the power of just eating regularly and like better nutrition. Because I think, you know, I know myself when I was restricting, I just felt so like low on energy, miserable, <laughs> anxious. And actually, yeah, just eating a bit more, gosh, in a way, the relief and just <laughs> so wonderful just to feel, have more energy and to think clearly and all those things. Yeah, it is. Uh, restriction is not worth it. It is not mm. worth it because you feel, I feel so much better. Yeah, that's great to hear. So can you tell us as well, Melanie, more about your kind of journey with Taekwondo and the impact on your mental health? Yes, of course. So Taekwondo is a Korean martial art. So it's similar to karate, which is Japanese. It has strikes, kicks, punches, throws, things like that. It's a very popular martial art. I had done it for a, a little while as a child out in my rural West Texas town of Snyder. So a little town out in the middle of nowhere. And when I was about 10, I told my parents I wanted to learn karate. I have no idea why. I don't remember. I just wanted to learn karate. And so there was not a karate school, but there was a Taekwondo school that was run by a very nice married couple. And like small town activities, about half the town went there. So we had this great sense of community. And I fell in love with it. I loved the discipline. I loved the movement. At the time, I didn't understand this, but I loved the mind-body connection that you have with probably most martial arts. And so we did that for a few years. And then we just got busy with other things and we stopped doing it. And so I never really thought I would go back to it. I just thought, oh, that was an activity I did as a kid. It was fun, but, but I don't really, I'm not interested anymore. And it was, it was in the back of my mind. And then around my early 30s, I'd been about two years into treatment for my mental illnesses. I was doing okay, not suicidal anymore, not, not facing serious crisis, but I was not getting much better. I was still making bad choices with relationships. 
I couldn't control my emotions. I was having a lot of mood swings. Of course, I was probably restricting and doing some eating disorder behavior too. And so I thought I need a serious, positive, drastic change in my life. And so I thought, well, why don't I do Taekwondo again? That'll get me out of the house. It'll keep me active. And so I discovered that my Snyder childhood teachers reported up to a grandmaster who's a higher ranking than them in Fort Worth, where I live. And Fort Worth is, is near Dallas. So it's in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And so he, he used to come to our tests when I was a child. He came to our tournaments. And so there was this piece of my childhood five miles down the road where I live now as an adult. And so I thought, okay, my, my search is over. I have to train with him. So I began training with this, this cool old, old hardcore, old school Korean grandmaster. And this was about 2013. And, you know, I didn't notice an overnight change, but I did notice a change pretty quickly. You, you feel the endorphin from the sweat and the movement and, and the, the physical difficulty. You get positive feedback from your instructors and your classmates. Again, you get that sense of community. And I started to notice over time that my confidence was getting better. My self-respect was getting better. I started making better choices. And so as I was observing this, I started writing about it too. I noticed that it, it could help me when I was having low moods or anxiety or even manic mood swings. I could respond to it through the skills I was learning in Taekwondo of control and discipline and self-respect. Mm. Sure. Well, no, it sounds like it's been such a valuable tool, hasn't it? You know, for your physical and your mental well-being and so many of the sort of skills that you've learned doing the sport, you've sort of transferred that to your daily life. Yeah, it's been incredible. And I will say, even though this last year has been really difficult for me mentally and physically, and I haven't even been able to, been able to practice Taekwondo very much, the mental abilities it's given me have stayed with me. The perseverance has stayed with me, even at my lowest points in February with the winter storm and with work and, and uh, my eating disorder re being really almost out of control is that some, there was some kernel that I retained from my Taekwondo training of perseverance and self-respect that got me through those tough times. And, you know, choosing to go to therapy is a sign of strength. And I credit that strength to Taekwondo. So it's been probably the best resource to help me overcome mental illness challenges. And, and I know once I get back into it, I'll probably feel even better than I do now. Yeah, and no, I'm sure. And at the moment, like, so how are you going with your sort of rehabilitation of your knee at the moment? So my rehabilitation has been slow. Yeah. It's normally a year to a year and a half recovery. So the injury and the surgery happened in July. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those people that it's going to take a year and a half. I've been had trouble getting to full extension, which is not normal. You need to get to it in a couple of months. So you, zero extension, meaning you can, you can lock your leg, almost hyperextend it. And I just wasn't getting there. and wasn't getting there. I wasn't getting there. We tried these devices, extra therapy. And so actually very recently in June of 2021, my doctor and I decided, okay, let's just do another surgery. So he did a minor arthroscopy to remove scar tissue, much smaller surgery compared to ACL reconstruction. I didn't need crutches or a brace. I could drive in a couple of days, but it's still surgery and there's still a recovery period. So that slowed me down a little bit and I am behind where I should be. But I think now with the scar tissue removal, and if I just stay diligent about my home rehab and going to my physical therapy sessions, 
then I'll be on the right track by the end of the year. Yeah, and it's sure. And it sounds like it's been an incredibly humbling and challenging experience, hasn't it? And I can see how it <laughs> absolutely tested your perseverance. Um, yes, and, and patience. <laughs> every day, every single day, I have to do some kind of work on it. Even right now, as we're talking, I kind of have it elevated and extended out. So every day I have to do some kind of work on it. Now, I will say if, if you're going to injure your knee, doing it during a pandemic is probably the best time since I'm, if you're able to work from home, I've been able to do, you know, I'll, I'll lay on the floor with my knee and doing something, listening to a conference call, or while I'm checking my email, I've got my leg in some kind of contraption that helps me straighten it. Mm-hmm. So that's been the good thing of a pandemic is yeah. I can do all the home rehab that I need to. Mm, yeah, those are, what silver linings. <laughs> so tell us a bit more, Melanie, as well. So you've been, so obviously you've got your book out and you have sort of been writing about your experiences. So can you say a bit more about your book? Yeah, sure. And, and so I'll, I'll back up a little bit before that, actually, and start with my blog. So I started a blog called Little Black Belt in 2014, and that was about a year into my Taekwondo practice. And I was having so many insights and ideas and getting these life lessons from practicing a martial art that I had to get them out of my head. I had to get them down onto, I'd say onto paper, but it's really onto a computer screen. So I started writing and then I was writing more and more and more. And it just kind of came to me organically. And I thought, you know, I could probably write a book from this. And mental health is not an uncommon thing to see in memoir, but you don't see a lot of mental health memoirs about people who are just kind of sliding by in life. There's, they're hiding under the radar. They're not, I've never been in a mental hospital. I've never attempted suicide. I've always gone to work, paid the bills. And so, which is, it's very mm-hmm. common. I know in the United States, about one in five people has some kind of mental health issue. And I think it's about the same in the UK. So mm-hmm. I wanted to write a book for those people who are hiding in plain sight and suffering in silence. And then also you don't hear about a lot of women in martial arts. So I thought that would be an interesting story. So mm-hmm. I wrote my book, Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts, a few years ago. And I've worked on the publishing process since then, and it's since been released And it tells those two stories of my mental health journey and my journey from white belt to black belt and the the growth in both areas along the way. Mm -hmm. Sure. No, wonderful. Well, I'm sure like a lot of people will be really interested to read this memoir, actually, from like from the Taekwondo perspective, from the mental health perspective as well. So, yeah, no, well done you, I think, for like getting you know around to writing a book because I think it's one of those things that many people kind of think it would be a great idea but it's another thing actually to get it out into the world isn't it and kind of birth this book yeah it is and I will say for anybody who's interested in writing a memoir I highly recommend taking a class learning how to do it I I was fortunate enough to find a, a great class online called write your memoir in six months and I learned all kinds of writing techniques that helped me craft what had started as diary entries and, and blog posts into an actual book because a memoir needs to tell a story just as well as a fiction novel. It needs to be engaging. It needs to have good scenes and dialogue and needs to show the, the arc of the character, the character in this case being me. And no matter what the topic is, that's what I love about memoir is that mm-hmm. if you can tell it in an interesting way, 
I'll read a memoir about anything. My favorite memoir is about a team climbing Mount Everest. I have no interest in mountain climbing. Heck no, I don't want to do any of that. But the book is so engaging that I love reading it over and over again. So that's what I love about memoir. And so if somebody wants to write a memoir is start learning about the craft of it, find a way to organize all of your thoughts and just just go from there. Read the memoirs that you love and learn from them. That's another great, great, great way to learn how to write a book is to read voraciously and take whatever you can from the books that you like, figure out why you like them and what it says to you as a reader and see if you can replicate that. Mm. No, well, thank you for those valuable tips, because I'm sure there will be people listening that will have had that thought about writing a book, but maybe never got around to it. So Melanie as well, in terms of like, you've said like the body image part has been the kind of hardest, you know, the, the sort of last bit of the puzzle really, or the kind of hard, most challenging part in comparison to the eating more. So can you just say a bit like, what do you do on a daily basis just to really help yourself feel better about your body image? Yeah, that has been really challenging. And I think that that's what started when I was 13 years old. I'm 42 now. So almost almost 30 years of having poor body image. So that's that's a habit that's not going to be broken overnight. So I did a lot of talk with my nutritionists and my therapists about it, about the the habit of weighing myself, of body checking, of you know, looking in the mirror to kind of look at the parts that I don't like. And over time, I don't know if there's one tip or trick that's really worked, but reminding myself that, you know, one, I I didn't love myself in a smaller body than what I am now. So if I'm, if I'm missing some ideal version of myself, that's a reality check pretty quickly is, well, I didn't love myself when I was, you know, X number of pounds or a different size. So that's a reminder that, you know, you need to, to accept yourself now. And then also just reminding myself that, the pain is not worth it. Kind of like the pain of restricting is not worth it. I feel so much better now that I'm eating normally is that with this one, I think it's just repetition and reminding myself of the pain of criticizing and hating and punishing my body is not worth it. It's not doing me any good. It's not making my life any better. It has nothing to do with the fact that I was able to write a book or the fact that you know, I'm doing well on my mortgage payments and or anything with my job or anything like that, it has no bearing on the other successes in my life. And so it's just, and I've even had this past week and I've kind of noticed I caught glimpses in the mirror and I felt less and less of those negative feelings. I'm starting to feel more neutral. I'm not really even going for body love. I'm just yeah. going for body acceptance and body neutrality. And I think I'm getting there just to remind myself that the pain is not worth it. It is not doing me any good. It's not serving me. And that's what my nutritionist has been good at challenging me saying, how is it serving you? What good Mm -hmm. is it doing you? And if you're struggling with an eating disorder, it's this parasitic relationship that it has with you. It's like being in an abusive relationship and you have to stop and really challenge yourself and think, what good are these behaviors and these thought processes doing me? What, what, how are they serving me? You know, in the past, I would think, well, they were keeping me thin. Well, what good is, what does that mean? What, what's so great about being thin? And, you know, I'd have to go down this, this path. So yeah, that, that's, what's helped me the most is just thinking of the pain that I put myself through and think, is it worth it? Not really. It doesn't feel good. And so the quickest way for me to stop it is to stop those behaviors and stop those thoughts. 
Yeah, no, I think you know, just really, really helpful. I think just hearing your experience there, it's just a lot of repetition, isn't it? Yeah, just having that awareness in a way where you start to capture the thoughts and think, oh, I'm, I'm doing it again, but almost being able to sort of have a pause between thought and reaction. Whereas I guess, you know, when we're in the depths of it, all the thoughts are just so automatic, aren't they? And we're just completely lost in the sea of like toxic thoughts. Yes, because the toxic toxic thoughts still happen. But like you said, I'm able to pause and notice it. And it's the same with with other mental illness things of anxiety or, or anything else is that you may still struggle with obsessive thoughts or harmful thoughts or negative thoughts. But you and, and that's a part of being human. It's that that's normal, really. But you, if you notice it and say, okay, here's what's going on. This doesn't have a bearing on how good I am, you know, if I'm a good person or not. What might be the root of it? What can I do to get through this? Sometimes fighting it makes it worse. So just accepting it, noticing it for a moment, even that can sort of snap you out of that, that toxic thinking. Mm, yeah, no, so true. So Melanie, where can people find you if they want to yeah, find out more about you and read your blog? Yeah, the best place people can go to find me is my blog called littleblackbelt.com. It's a play on the phrase little black dress. So mm-hmm. littleblackbelt.com, you can find out about me, read about my life. There's a lot about my knee injury in there, links to my book. I've got a page called Melanie in the Media that has lots of podcast interviews and has articles. I've written quite a few articles about mental health, including some about eating disorders. So people are interested, they can read that. My book, Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts is available on many, any major bookseller. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, bookshop.org, anywhere you like to buy books, it's available. And then also I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Melanie Gibson author. And I I love to connect with people online. So I'm happy to, to connect with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I'll make sure all those like details are in the show notes so people can come and find you. Okay, great. So Melanie, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story, because I think it's just, you know, one of so much hope and inspiration about what's possible with recovery. And also really interesting to hear the role of taekwondo in in this journey with your mental health as well. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on your show. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Melanie's info in the show notes. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And I am going to be taking on some more private clients soon for either a 10-week or a 20-week sort of therapy course. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, do drop me an email at harriet.fru.gmail.com. I would be so grateful if you enjoy this podcast. Please follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. And if you want to support the podcast, do sign up to my Patreon. Details are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.